Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. I'm Mary Kilpatrick. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for helping us out with this podcast. They give us the real estate. They give us the equipment, the nice shiny mics that we're talking to you on today. So we really appreciate all the hard work that they do. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And when you do that, rate and review us. It helps everybody else uh, who wants to find this podcast find it. And we could always use a couple extra listeners, right? And if you have any feedback, go ahead and send that to my email if you want to hear a guest or if you uh, like or you don't like whatever we're doing. Uh, my email is srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on Ohio Matters, Ohio Republican Party Chairman Jane Timken. So, how was talking to Jane, guys? Jane Jane seems like a pretty interesting woman to me. Yeah, so not to be stuck in the past, but her predecessor, uh, Matt Borges, is kind of almost known for being very, very talkative with reporters. I should add, he was actually the first guest ever on Ohio Matters. He was, and maybe that's why we asked him. We knew he'd do it. But, you know, uh, Jane, on the other hand, is almost like diametrically the opposite. Um, it's not that she can't talk to us. It's not like she doesn't have anything to say. I just think that and she basically told us she didn't think it's very effective for the type of work that she feels like she needs to do, which is help candidates get elected and help kind of quietly smooth over conflicts whenever they happen. So yeah, it was interesting getting around here. Yeah, like she views her job very much as sort of a behind the scenes type person who's working within the party to advise candidates and help them, you know, shape their message. Uh, She doesn't really view her role as being someone who is constantly out there talking to reporters and um, speaking speaking her mind really publicly. So I think it's very much a conscious choice and and a deliberate choice that she makes when she, you know, has been become known, I guess, to be a little more media shy. So Seth, let me ask you a question. Do you think that being a good party chairperson and talking to reporters are mutually exclusive? No, I wouldn't say so at all. I think you just kind of have to have different styles uh, depending on what exactly it is you want to do. Sometimes the party chair needs to be able to communicate with the media and be kind of the face of the party, the actual face of the party. Sometimes the party chair needs to be able to be in the background. They need to be the money people, the people advising candidates, the people coming up with strategies. So it's, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Well, it was it was good to have her on because, like I said, it's um uh, you know a mystery is a little too strong. But it was it was nice to kind of get some time to talk to her, and I, hopefully our listeners will get a better feel for who she is. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get to the interview that Mary and Andrew did with Ohio Republican Party Chairman Jane Timken. All right, we are joined today by Ohio Republican Party Chairman Jane Timken. Jane, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Just to kind of kick things off, our audience is kind of a political insider audience generally, but there's also kind of normal people. So I don't think a lot of people really know what a state party chair does. Can you kind of just tell us like what a normal day is in your life? Uh, Well, in a nutshell, my job and my responsibilities are to get Republican candidates from township trustee all the way to U.S. Senate and potentially presidential elected and in Ohio. Um, we work with all of their campaigns. I raise the resources to provide the infrastructure behind all of those campaigns, and we do the ground game and the election operations for everyone. So I've been to some Republican National Committee meetings, and there are the party chairs where you see like the reporters flock around them because they know that, take their questions, and they're kind of accessible and stuff like that. And then some of them are more like kind of behind the scenes operators. So I, I just my sort of idea of you is you're more of the latter. Is that right? That's correct. I, I you know, I see my role as not being in the spotlight. My, my job is to spotlight our candidates because they're the ones that are going to be elected. Yeah. 
Um, so, and do you think it's easier to do that basically if you stay out of the way sort of from a public standpoint? Well, I, I think that it, that's been my philosophy, that my job is to support them, not the other way around. I'm not the rock star. They are the rock stars. Um, so uh, just doing some preparation for this interview, I learned that you come from a more democratic family. Uh, so how did you come to lead the Ohio Republican Party? Sure. So I did grow up in a, a Democrat-leaning family. I would say they're Reagan Democrats. Um, I, my parents voted for Reagan in the 80s. And, um, you know, we have a diversity of opinion. I We sat around the kitchen table and debated on a regular basis. Um, I differ from my siblings uh, than just because of my philosophies are different from theirs. I tend to believe in Republican principles of individual opportunity. Um, you know, I'm a strong constitutionalist. Um, I believe in economic prosperity. I think that the individual is the answer, not the government. And so that's where we differ. So you've um, grew up in a more Democrat-leaning family, and you even went to Harvard, and you still are a Republican. That's huh? right. I went to Harvard in the 80s when Reagan was president, So and then Bush. Um, so it, there were more Republicans at Harvard then than there are now. Yeah, my only conception of the Reagan Democrats is like family ties and that kind of thing. So it's just sort of like... Uh it's it's out of uh, it's hard for me to picture it. I guess. Well, I would say you know, my parents are very fiscally responsible people, and I think that they are fiscally conservative. Um, and I think as they um, got older, they became much more conservative. And um, I know I believe my father voted for Trump, and um, I'm pretty sure they both voted for Romney in 2012. So growing up, did you guys talk about politics a lot? Did, is this something that, you know, did you have a political upbringing? Oh, sure. I mean, w my father was a law professor, so um, debate was always the topic of du jour for our dinner table. Um, he was a law professor more in the Socratic method, so he would often ask us questions, and then um, you can't stop him from lecturing. So he would lecture, we would debate and argue. I've told this story before that when I was a little girl, my dad pulled me aside when I was about four or five and taught me to say I disagree because he thought it was very important for me to stand up for myself and be able to disagree with people in a respectful way. So he relishes the debate, and that's something that he's instilled on, into all of us. So you met your husband in Washington, D.C. Can you tell me the story behind that? Sure. So um, the story behind meeting my husband, um, I scoped him out on a bus. Um, he and I used to take the same bus. Uh, we were both working in Washington, D.C. the summer after our sophomore year in college. So I was at Harvard. He was at Georgetown. And we both took the same bus. Uh, he was working up on the Hill for as an intern for an Ohio congressman. And I was working as a law clerk for a law firm and just a file clerk, not a legal clerk. And I scoped him out on the bus, and he proceeded to ignore all of us. I was um, I would travel the bus with about five or six girls, and we were loud and boisterous, and they were my best friends, and we made a lot of noise, apparently. But he ended up being f uh, friends of some of my friends, and we then finally met at a party. And um, he probably wouldn't like me telling this story, but he tells it. He actually lit my backyard on fire, trying to impress me by lighting the fire. We've, we've all been there. <laughs> Did it impress you? Um, not as much. I, <laughs> I still married him. So uh, I was wondering, so when you met him, did you realize like what the whole Timken thing was? Not at all. And oh. even though I was from Cincinnati, Ohio, I, I remember, you know, thinking that uh, candidly that Canton wasn't that far from Cincinnati. and was like, no, you've got your geography wrong. Um, I had no idea. A, a funny story is um, the first time 
I one of the times I wanted to come and visit him and my parents wouldn't let me borrow the family car I said fine I'm going to take the Greyhound bus and so I took the Greyhound bus from Cincinnati Ohio to Canton and I still hadn't had a full concept of what the Timken company was and by the time the bus started pulling down around the the bearing operations plants and there were these huge signs that said Timken everywhere I thought I am not in the right place. So it was fine, but it, it I was a little overwhelmed at yeah, that Yeah, I'd time. expect like the bus stop to be named after the Timken family or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know? not quite, but close enough. Uh, so uh, how did you, when did you find out about all the, like the whole, you know, Timken experience? Uh, you know, I think as we gradually dated, it, to me, it wasn't really what attracted me to my husband. And, um, you know, he's a pretty down to earth person and, you know, funny and smart. And that was what attracted me to him. So what was it like marrying into a family that's just such like a civic presence? Uh, well, you know, it, there I feel very blessed to be a part of the family. Um, they've instilled in all of us uh, the need to give back to our communities. That's something that the Timken family's always done and will continue to do. You know, their civic engagement is not just in Canton, Ohio, but globally. Um, the Timken Foundation um, gives to organizations throughout the uh, throughout the country and throughout the world where they have a presence and then also just are, spend a lot of time in education and capital investment. So um, you clerked in Stark County too, right? Yes. Uh, as a magistrate law clerk, is that what you're talking about? Yes. So I was a magistrate and law clerk for Judge Sarah Leoy, and who is now sitting on the um, federal bench. Um, and she's a fantastic judge. Yeah, would, she presided over the Cuyahoga County corruption scandal up here, which is how I know who she is. Right. That's worth. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, I think she's the best. I, I, I will. Uh, she's. I think what everyone should look to in. in a judge. Um, she's fair. She's smart. She's hardworking, and um, I, I'm really proud of her. I think she's a wonderful person. So, how did you end up getting involved in Stark County politics then? Um, well, as you probably know, the Timken family has been involved in Republican politics for decades. Um, and, uh, you know, my husband's uncle was the finance chairman under Chairman Bennett. My husband had been the finance chairman as well. Um, and so I, we've been involved in fundraising, you know, for presidential candidates, for statewide candidates, um, Voinovich, and, and for decades before. But um, in 2010, I just said, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I want to get more politically involved. And quite frankly, a lot of it was the, the passage of Obamacare. And um, so I became the vice chairman of the Stark County Republican Party. At the time in Stark County, um, we had zero Republican countywide office holders. And um, we set out with a plan to recruit qualified Republican candidates. And um, um, Chairman Matthews and I worked very hard on getting good candidates to step up to the plate. And so now we have three Republican county commissioners, a treasurer and an auditor. And at the time, it, we had a Democrat congressman. And then we worked really hard to get Jim Renacci elected at that time. So yeah, in the 1990s, I remember the New York Times kind of camped out in Stark County as like the quintessential swing county for a while, right? Right. And, the, and, and you know, uh, I don't take it for granted um, that Stark County um, can, it is a, still, I would say, a swing county. Um, it, it's probably now leans more Republican, but it is somewhat of a microcosm of Ohio and then the rest of the country because Stark County has um, some 
urban areas, some rural areas. It has a manufacturing base. It's also bringing in new industry. So it is, it is sort of that mix of what Ohio is and the rest of the country. So why do you think it's kind of gotten more Republican lately? Um, I think that we've had really good Republican candidates, and I think people have liked what they've seen, um, in, especially in county government. They um, like the Republican commissioners and our treasurer and auditor, and I think it's been a very successful model, and people are not looking to the Democrats as much as they were. I think they like the Republicans, and they've done a good job for Stark County. So you just liked uh, doing county politics, and you decided you really had to get involved in, on the state level, huh? Right. So after the 2016 election, a group of people came to me, and they said, we really think you should run for state party chairman. We haven't liked the direction of the party. We think that you do a really good job. And I said, I'd never even really contemplated it at the time. And but then I said, I, you know, I believe that I looked at it as a public service. I think my job, as I said at the beginning, is to recruit and elect good people, good Republicans for public office. And um, that's, I think, my somewhat of my calling right now. And um, I, I, ran around the state for about six weeks and t- convinced committee members to vote for me. Now, it was a one-vote margin, but um, I think that I've worked really hard to build a good state central committee, um, bring people together, and, you know, have them trust and, and have faith in me that I do a good job as their chairman. And what was it that um, convinced you to sort of take the plunge? I mean, it's it's a lot of work. It's not... Um uh, I'm always struck by people who are in that position when you talk to them afterwards, how much happier they are because they're glad it's over, even though it's obviously opens a lot of doors and it's important work. And sure. Stuff I, you know, I don't look at it. It was never my objective to open doors for me. Um, I think I have some skills, some leadership skills that, uh, as I said, I, I'm a pretty good consensus builder. Um, I also uh, am pretty relatable. Uh, I do a decent job at fundraising, have had fundraising experience in the past more on um, for nonprofits. Um, so I saw that as a real opportunity to take some of my skills and help elect good Republicans. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for State House happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting capital letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit Cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's Cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So Jane Timken is actually the first chair of the Ohio Republican Party, and I'm wondering, did you guys get into that at all with her? So we didn't get into the history of it, actually, but we did talk about the broad challenges that women might face in politics, as well as kind of uh, her focus on trying to promote women candidates. She made it very clear she wants to see more Republican women um, on the bench able to step up and run, and she's made it pretty clear she's out there trying to recruit um, conservative Republican women to to run for office, and it seems like a priority of hers. And just as background for our listeners, uh, maybe you guys already know this, but 
Joanne Davison was the first woman speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, and that was kind of, that was a big deal, and that was in the mid-90s. And so her and, and Betty Montgomery, who was the attorney general, I believe she was the state auditor, she ran for governor, were kind of really big forces in Ohio politics, uh, you know, in their time. And so there is this history um, of that. But on the other hand, basically, if you look at the main races this year statewide, there are no, no women at all if you're in the Republican ticket. She did point out there is one. So if you guys know which one it is, then you win the Ohio politics trivia question. But it is it is a problem, I guess, at least from an optics standpoint, if not more. With that, let's listen to more of the interview with Jane Timken. You know, the other thing we wanted to ask, obviously, politics is a very male dominated profession. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Republican politics in Ohio is is also any politics in Ohio, Democratic or Republican is very male dominated as well. I was just curious, you know, what's it like to be a woman, you know, sometimes the only woman in the room? How do you handle that situation? You know, it's interesting that sometimes it doesn't even cross my mind. Um, and I think it's partially because, you know, I was a practicing attorney and oftentimes I was in a deposition where I was the only female in the room. Um, I tend to, I, I think, I, I don't know if it's I command respect from men, but I just sort of take the position that I, I deserve a seat at the table. And I, that may be part of my upbringing with my father teaching me to say I disagree. It's a lot of my own sense of self-respect. Um, I... I often go around and give speeches to groups of women um, talking about encouraging them to get involved in politics. And I have a a phrase that I say, you can't be it if you don't see it. And I look, I want to be in this position because I I think that um, women who are looking to get into politics, if they don't see someone in that position, they don't think that they could do it. Um, And I really encourage women to do that. Um, The other thing that I talk to women about is that women tend to have checklists that they want to make sure they check up all the boxes before they jump in and take that risk and that plunge. And um, I, I say to them that you're never going to check off all the boxes. I w- didn't check off all the boxes before I jumped in and became chairman, but I knew that I had the skill sets that I think would fit to the job. And, um, you know, I had good people encouraging me, but sometimes you just have to take the risk. Um, Yeah, you know, um, the Republican Party in Ohio has had a lot of high-profile women, you know, Joanne Davidson, Betty Montgomery in the past, who were really forces in Ohio politics. Um, You know, today, there there are not as many women in the Ohio Republican Party. Do you think there should be more of a focus on increasing that pipeline and making sure there are more women um, who could potentially be good candidates for the Republican Party here in Ohio? So, well, first of all, I would say that Joanne Davidson and Betty Montgomery are still forces within the party. Sure. Um, so, uh, I, you know, Joanne Davidson is an amazing person, um, and uh, she is, is an RNC committee member. Um, she's the committee woman from Ohio and still has a, an active role in the RNC. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Betty Montgomery is active. She's still on our state central committee. Um but I do think that part of my job is to recruit uh, female candidates. And, you know, it, last year we participated in over 70 municipal races because I thought it was really important for us as a state party to um, get involved on a local level. Uh, it does two things. It, um, and it helps build our bench but it also helps us contact voters. So we were out in the field all through 2017. And, um, you know, we 
worked really hard to help um, Amy Murray, an incumbent um, Cincinnati City Councilwoman, um, get reelected. Um, I find that really encouraging that we elected her and um, an African-American um, named Jeff Pastor. They're doing a great job in Cincinnati City Council. Um, but I would like to recruit more women. And part of that is me going around the state, having those conversations with women's groups and saying, you know, you have a skill set and you should bring more of that to the table. We actually have a significant number of female township trustees, commissioners, um, and uh, city council people, mayors um, that are women and you know we need to encourage them to take the leap to a statewide run. Would you say that's a priority for you, building that Republican bench of women? It is one of my priorities. And it, and when I look to next year, that's going to be something that we're going to start to talk about is candidate recruitment. You know, um, I think it's interesting to, to talk about this because in 2018, if you look at the Republican statewide slate, it's, it's all male. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts as to, to why that is or how that happened. Sure. I, you know, from my perspective, I think um, we do have Mary D. Gennaro, who's a Supreme Court justice now and is will be running, uh, you know, for her to retain her seat. Um, I think that it it takes some building and I think it takes some encouragement and having a female chair may change the narrative for a lot of female candidates. Um, and as I said, you know, candidate recruitment and is always a building process. And that's why, as I said before, for us to spend time in township trustee races and city council races, it, it, it helps encourage people. You know, it, it's rare that someone um, runs from a, you know, a the mayor of Finley for a statewide race, but it could happen. Um, we do have females in the House and Senate in the State House, and um, I'm encouraged by how they've been developed. Um, I'd like to see more of more women run for those positions as well. You know, I was reading this article on 538 about um, female representation in, in state houses across the country. And, um, you know, statistically, there are more female Democrats, you know, in state government than Republican women in state government. I, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts as to why that is. You know, I, I don't really know. I think maybe um, the, that we have, as Republicans, need to do a better job to encourage more women to run. Um, and um, I'd like to see more female state chairs in across the state. Um, I have a really good relationship with the women that are um, state chairs, and um, I think it's a priority of theirs as well. Um, you know, we have to encourage women to take that leap, um, especially uh, conservative women um, to say that they have a voice at the table and that they have a lot uh, to offer. Um, you know, from my perspective, uh, I've always said this, that, you know, the Margaret Thatcher quote, which is, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. No offense to the men. <laughs> I mean, I barely got here today, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, women just tend to cut through the baloney and just get things done. And, um, you know, I we have less, I'm going to be very frank, I, there are a lot of times when women are less driven by ego than they're more driven by problem solving. That's just my perspective. I hope that's not offensive. No, no, I totally understand that. And that sort of like leads into my next question, which is, um, we've been asking a lot of women across the state this, but 
why is it important to have women represented in elected government? What do they bring to the table? Well, we're, we're the majority of the electorate, and um, we should have a voice. Um, I had a conversation with the new chairman um, down in Claremont County, and he's really energized because he goes into um, high schools and he talks about the party, and he says to some of the young women there, you know, we have a, a female chairman, and he wants to have an event down in Claremont County where he has me, um, potentially someone from uh, Washington, D.C., and um, to encourage more women to say that conservative women have a voice and, and you should, if you're a conservative woman, you should get involved with the party. So besides actually being the head of the Republican Party, I think we probably wanted Jane Timken on this show because of the way she became the head of the Republican Party. It was it sort of exemplified this split between Trump Republicans and Kasich Republicans in the state, uh, the way she was elected. Did you talk to her at all about that divide between President Donald Trump and John Kasich, you know, as it relates to the Republican Party? We talked to her about it. She didn't have a whole lot to say about it. So what what I will say Reading between the lines, when we asked her what her relationship was with John Kasich, she said, it's fine. It's fine. And she said it in a way that made you maybe think, I, I don't know, like it it just seemed a little... Like they're saying it's fine, but maybe it's really not that yeah, fine. Maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know. Like she made it clear that they have a, you know fine relationship it's fine but she did say you know john Kasich's done a great job as governor she he's this many jobs have been created since he's been in office and so i think she's very diplomatic um so she's not going to trash him or anything like that but yeah i mean it is a tough position for her to be in where she basically uh barely got elected to a, by a committee that's very loyal to Kasich and had you know basically required the president's uh, direct intercession to, to make it happen. So, and then, you know, Kasich's on TV every day, it seems like uh, talking about how Republicans suck and how the party's gotten lost and stuff like that. So she, she handles it well. I mean, as far as um, uh, not making her the story, but yeah, it's, it's a weird dynamic and we didn't necessarily get a lot of her out about it, out of her about it. The, the one analogy that she kept going back to was we are all one big Republican family. And, and sometimes, you know, family members criticize other family members. But we're still a family. And so, um, so yeah, but who wouldn't want to be at that family Thanksgiving? Huh. I made that joke in the interview, too. It's a little preview there. Uh. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking if, uh, if I describe a relationship as fine, that's like a C- minus for relationships. But I get maybe that's just me. So with that, let's go ahead and listen to the rest of the interview with Jane Timken. So you mentioned earlier kind of the narrow margin under which you were initially elected. Um, did you feel like you had something to prove because of just kind of the circumstances that, you know, you came in to, to hold the position that you have? Um, I, sure. I, I think I needed to prove that I could be effective in my job. Um, but I also needed to, you know, uh, bring those who uh, weren't 
voting for me uh, on my side. Um, and and I've, I thought if I build an effective team, if we're successful in fundraising, if um, I spend a lot of time in outreach, uh, I spend a lot of time on the road, I really believe as state chairman, I shouldn't spend most of my time in Columbus. I should be traveling to every county, engaging with all of our Republican groups, um, engaging with candidates, um, it's spending time helping candidates raise money, um, attending events, um, really building the party that way. Um, I bought a new car in June last of last year, and I have, I think, 46,000 miles on the car already. So I spend a lot of time in the car driving because I think it's, it's, it's important for me to, to build the party that way. And if I have local support from local Republicans, then they will encourage uh, the rest of the party to support the state party and me as well. So I know that we were really surprised when we were following that race and we learned that President Donald, I guess he's president-elect at the time, Donald Trump, was actually kind of making calls to committee members uh, individually. Um, How did he come to get involved? And did you, I guess I heard that maybe he called you from Trump Tower at one point? He did. Um, He did call me. Um, That's always such a surreal time um, because it happens Uh, he he called me his assistant called and asked if I had time to speak to him and um, you know he wanted to uh, get involved um, and and I never directly asked him to Um, I think he enjoyed having these conversations uh, and he would get on the phone with state committee members and they'd talk for a while and uh, the story I heard was you know they gave him a small list of people to call and he enjoyed it so much that he hung up the phone and said give me more people to call I want to talk to more people and so um, he just enjoyed it. And oftentimes I will get that unknown, you know, no caller ID call and it'll be his assistant. And she always says, do you have time to speak to the president? And I'm like, <laughs> what do you uh, say? <laughs> of course I do. So um, that's you just never know when that's going to happen, though. Yeah, it's just funny for me to picture that because, you know, uh, state party committee members, some of them are like, oh, I think the, the committee men in Cuyahoga County is a court bailiff. I mean, they're like teachers and stuff. I mean, they're really not. Uh, they're they're part-time at it, you know, so. Sure, sure. I I don't know. Whenever I get a call that I don't recognize, I'm like, oh, it must be a telemarketer. But for you, I guess it, you know, it could be someone a little more important. (laughs) It's always dicey. You got to try to answer them. So I know that uh, some of the national look at that to some degree is that people were surprised that that Trump would get involved in kind of like the minutia of state party leadership and stuff like that. Why do you think that Ohio was so important that he chose to intercede? Well, I think he, I mean, President Trump knows how important Ohio is. And um, I think he wanted to make sure that uh, that he had a president, uh, president, a chairman that supported him. Um, You know, uh, my husband and I, uh, after the convention here in Cleveland, uh, hosted a fundraiser in Canton and raised over a million dollars for the president. So he knew that he had somebody who was supportive of him. um, And he knows he's looking towards 2020, and he's going to want to make sure that um, he has a state committee that is supportive of his reelect. So uh, as kind of like a public figure, you hear that that he's very charming in private, but in, in public, like if I think he likes a good show and he's not afraid to change his mind about things. So what, what's it like uh, kind of being in your job 
when you have somebody who's sort of like the face of your party, you can be kind of unpredictable? Um, you know, look, I, I look at results. The president is knocking it out of the park with, you know, his campaign promises. Um, everything that he said that was on his list during the campaign, um, he's getting done. Um, the economy is soaring. I think we're close to over 4% growth is predicted, um, you know, since November of 2016, over 3 million, I think it's 3.4 million jobs have been created. He ran on, I want to create jobs. Um, he is negotiating with North Korea to denuclearize. He's um, making sure our borders are secure. Um, look, everyone knew that the president um, was a New York businessman who spent his days negotiating at all day long. And um, this is just his style. And uh, I think it works. It works for him. It may not work for everyone else. Um, but I, my take on this is the American public wanted a fighter in the White House, and they got a fighter. So you're a predecessor for this job. We actually had, an, I think he was our first guest in Ohio Matters. Um, but he was uh, not shy about disagreeing with President Trump or then candidate Trump if he felt like it was necessary. Um, is, is that something that, that you might ever do if you uh, use your position as a party chair to disagree with him or with another elected official? Or would, how do you view that? Well, you know, look, I, th I think it would... I, that's a hypothetical. I don't know what the circumstances would be. Um, I don't, he's the president. I think it's for me as a state party chairman to start squawking about his, him I, is not appropriate. Um, but, you know, I think in other circumstances where I have had candidates that have had said some things or done some things, I've picked up the phone and said, you know, that's not really working, and it's not working for me. Um, but I, my focus is more on my Ohio candidates, um, and where, and I think that's the appropriate approach for a chairman to take. So you, uh, I don't know if this is exactly what you're alluding to, but during the uh, congressional, or the primary for one of the congressional races up here, it was uh, Anthony Gonzalez, who's also been on the show, and Christina Hagan, and she. Um, uh, kind of, I guess, came to sort of complain after your family endorsed her, her opponent, Gonzalez, in that race. And um, I'm just, we're interested to know kind of how you navigate that as somebody whose job it is is to be neutral as long as the process dictates it, but you also have family members who are very involved and make their own decisions. And sure. Like that. Uh, well, and, and you know, it's interesting because um, my husband and I are very different people. We are individuals, even though we're married. Um, and my family members, you know, I'm not in no position to tell my other family members to dictate to them how they, who they should support and how. Um, I think it's it's interesting if the the roles were reversed and the female spouse of the chairman donated to a candidate, I don't know that the, there would be that hue and cry. Um, and I remained neutral in that race. The state party remained neutral. My husband just chose to support Anthony Gonzalez. So what was it that prompted you to, I don't know if you called her or if you contacted her indirectly or something like that, but just as background for our listeners, she had a Twitter post that uh, called attention to the surname of one uh, somebody who was arrested in um, uh, I guess it was like a drug case or something like that. It was an illegal immigrant. So a lot of people felt that it was kind of, I guess, racially charged that she would do that in such a selective manner. So what was it that, that you uh, that prompted you to decide to intercede in that case? I, I didn't think it was appropriate. I, th I didn't think it was helping her candidacy, to be honest with you. Um, I think that she would be better off running on uh, her um, 
campaign promises and what she was looking to how she was looking to lead and not trying to be cute with a tweet like that that I thought was derogatory um, and my style you may not see it I won't come out my style is more to be in the, like we started in the original conversation is I'm more in the background I'll pick up the phone and talk to a candidate um, if I think their messaging is going off the rails or I think if the messaging isn't working for their campaign I'll put my two cents in but I think it's a it's a chairman to candidate conversation not a public discourse and no offense in the newspapers it doesn't help the candidate um, I wouldn't call it a leadership challenge exactly, but it's, there's sort of like uh, some rumblings about people who were uh, trying to take certain committee seats and stuff like that. Um, uh, so it seems like you emerged from that okay in the primary. Uh, so I guess this is a process where you were elected kind of under contentious circumstances and there's always something, I guess. Do, do you feel like you're settling into your position more as time goes on? Oh, I do. Um, I, and I, you know, I think I've been able to build a good team. Um, I, I, I think the people that work for the Ohio Republican Party are you know, top notch. Um, I would compare them to the rest of the country and they, they work really hard. They know what they're doing. I think that because we've been able to build a good team, we have a lot, we've been engendered a lot of trust towards the state party. Um, I think we have committee members who like what they see um, and they get feedback from their local communities on what the state party is doing from their can from candidates. And so I think that um, that's part of my process of building a good team, building a good um, state central committee, working with them, being accessible to them. And I'm, I'm always open to feedback from committee members um I, you know i've never been afraid of constructive criticism if someone tells me that you know we think you should be doing this or doing that I, i'm you know i have a pretty open door policy with everyone you mentioned earlier that you're not really looking to open doors or i guess you're uh, after you are, are done being chair um and i, I guess that sort of like indirectly um, has to do with kind of what your ambitions are, I guess. So how, how long do you want to be in this position is, um, you know, what, what kinds of ways you see yourself being involved with with politics kind of in the long term? It, it, well, in the near term, I plan to run for reelection this January. Um, and then we will see what happens. Um, I, I, you know, I won't rule anything out, but I, um, you know, being a candidate is a tough job. Um, it may be easier than chairman. I haven't really tried it, but we, we will see. I, you know, I don't know. Um, it just depends on what the political landscape is, um, whether my family still supports me driving around 46,000 miles around Ohio and not being home. I, you know, when the, if and when an opportunity comes, I will assess it and make a decision that's best for me and my family. You know, that's that's a lot of time in the car. I'm just curious, how do you pass the time? Do you like listening to music or podcasts or? I'm I'm working, um, okay. so I, I have I'm blessed to have a, a great assistant who's um, Mitch Tully, and um, so Mitch does he, the driving. He's waving. Yeah, hi <laughs> Mitch. Um, so he drives, and I make donor phone calls, right. and I make political phone calls. So, you know, I, I, when I, there's never a time when I'm not working in the car. So it's like a mobile office. Mobile office, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a Wi-Fi hotspot, and um, I bring my computer, and I respond to emails, and I literally make phone calls all the time. I lose my voice sometimes doing it. <laughs> um, so one, one of the more interesting storylines of your chairmanship has been our governor, John Kasich, who's 
uh, obviously become known nationally for being critical of the Republican Party and being critical of the president. Uh, what's your relationship like with Governor Kasich? It's it's fine. Um, you know, I he's our Republican governor. Um, the state party will support him in any way that he needs. I've always said to him, if he ever needs something from the state party, just to, to ask. Um, I think Governor Kasich's done a great job for Ohio. When you look what the position Ohio was in when he took office and where it is now, um, he, I'm very proud of the record that he's been able to accomplish. Um, and uh, the number of jobs that, crea- that have been created, the economy in Ohio, just how things, well things have gone. Um, I, you know, I, we're fine. So is it tough kind of, I guess, navigating, you know, when he's on Pick a Sunday show and talking about the Republican Party and how it's left him and that kind of stuff? I the, look. He's entitled to his own opinions. Um, it, the, one of the things that I always say to people: um, we are a Republican family. We may have disagreements about um, different positions, but at the end of the day, we all sort of share the same principles. And as my family and I share disagreements um, internally within the party, we have disagreements. But at the end of the day, we have to come together as a family. Something else that we kind of, and I guess maybe this is just for me as a reporter, I've never been uh, working since there's been kind of a Republican president, and it seems like a big part of the state party's sort of public job is amplifying the president's message. Um, Why is it that you you, you guys uh, appear to kind of be more of like lifting up the president, and and how is it that that's the case as opposed to maybe being more of like a vehicle for John Kasich and kind of the things that he does as governor? Sure. I mean, we would, we're happy to spread um, John Kasich's message if he would like us to. Um, He does his own messaging, as I'm sure you know, um, and um, we work with the White House communications team. We work with the White House political shop, um, and um, I see part of our job in every... Republican State Party chairman's job across the country is to support the White House and the president. Um, he's our Republican president, um, just as we would support a, a a congressman if he has something that he would like us to message. We are happy to do that. Um, we spend a lot of time messaging for our statewide candidates and um, in the House and Senate caucus what they accomplished. We send out a weekly email with what the message for that week is. We work on sending um, you know messaging points to our county ch- chairman um, so that they know the topics of the week. Um, Look, we are happy to discuss with any Republican or any Republican candidate a message that they'd like us to push. You know, sometimes we may say, no, we're not going to do that um, and tell them to do it on their own or tell them we think it's a wrong message or that's not going to work. I always reserve that prerogative, but that's part of my job is to support Republicans and candidates. So how do you like your chances this year? For the fall? Uh, oh, I think we're going to do really well. I think, look, I, I've always said we have A-plus statewide candidates. Um, they take action. They're accountable. Um, they have had um, the ability as leaders. They're proven leaders already in the state. I think the voters will gravitate to people that they know who have good accomplishments and have done well for the state of Ohio. Um, I, I'm energized by the fact that I feel that we and my team have put together a good ground game and infrastructure. I always say that my job is to build the roads so the candidates can drive down the road to winning in November. Um, we have uh, 
had eight regional field directors on the ground since last summer. We're hiring our field organizers. We're opening our victory centers. Um, I look at numbers from our May 8th primary. We turned out 150,000 more Republican votes. Um, I think that's going to bode well for our candidates. I think they're very successful people, and they'll be very successful in November. What is a victory center? Oh, well, I'm sorry. It's uh, Sometimes we're so in our head. It's it's a place where we um, used to, um, it's for a place where people can come and make phone calls right. and um, receive, get come and pick up yard signs and literature. It's a place where, um, uh, you know, people... Like a will, field office, maybe? It's like a field office. Okay, got it. Just wanted to check yeah. in. <laughs> Victory Center sounds more fun. Yeah, Victory Center, it's, you know... Field office is generic. <laughs> We're on to victory. So uh, this kind of touches on what you mentioned about the primary turnout, but there's this whole blue wave narrative, obviously. And I guess if nothing else, the idea is that historically the first off-year election for an incumbent president, their party has a, has a tough time. Uh, so what, what do you make of that? And how do you see the climate in Ohio this year? Well, I think the numbers on primary day showed that the blue wave sort of, it, it didn't sort of, it crashed in Ohio. Um, they didn't turn out their voters. Uh, now, you can question whether that translates into November. Um, I'm looking at what Ohioans say, uh, right track, wrong track. Those numbers are really good for Republicans right now. Um, I think th there's a lot of positive um, about the economy. When you think about the fact that our unemployment rate has dropped significantly, then it than it was last year. Um, candidly, I, I travel around the state and small business owners, big business owners, everyone, you know what their biggest complaint is? They can't find enough people to, to work. They have open jobs. And um, I think that there's a positivity in Ohio, and I think that bodes well for the incumbents. Um, Look, I you know the RNC always says we're going to defy history. Um, we have the best ground game and really great candidates, and I think that bodes well for us. Uh, I think that we're going to win. How do you think that Trump's tariffs play politically in Ohio? It's it's a complicated issue, and there's you know on the one hand. Um, there was an Indian company that said they're reopening a steel plant in uh, Jefferson County, and they, they credited the tariffs. But then we also saw General Motors in Lordstown, you know, outsourcing a shift to Mexico. And so it's just anything like trade is always complicated. But how do you think it nets out for people? Well, I'm, and I'm not so sure trade, you can conflate the two with trade with Lordstown and the new steel. You know, I think that you'd have to ask an economist on whether that's a one-to-one -one direct relationship. Um, at the end of the day, the president has always said he wants to make sure that Ohio producers, Ohio manufacturers, and Ohio uh, or American producers, manufacturers, and job creators, and, and um, American workers are number one. That's his number one priority. And when he looks to our trade deals that have been negotiated over the past decades, he sees them as unfair. He has said he wants you know fair trade. It's not fair right now. Um, it, I think at the end of the day, we will see as we go through the cycle on this trade negotiation that our trade partners will realize that they need to come to the table and, and, and have some fair trade agreements that work for America and work for them. So this is like, I think there's been a couple questions like this. This is another, like, what was it like when, um, what was it like when Josh Mandel dropped out of the Senate race? Do you remember what you were doing? Oh, that was an interesting day for me. Um, I, uh, 
I'm sure my son wouldn't mind me telling this story. He suffers from migraines, and we took him to Children's Hospital that day. And he was I, we, I was literally in the middle of him getting an MRI, and I had to leave my cell phone outside. Um, so I walked out of that, and my phone had blown up, and I was like, oh. And so I'm trying to talk to his, you know, the doctor and field phone calls from people. It was kind of a surreal day. Um, it was a sad day for me. I think Josh um, is a friend and would have made an excellent candidate um, It and still will if he ever chooses to. Um, but, you know, we have a great candidate in Jim Renacci. Um He was encouraged by the president to get step up and run. Um, I know Jim very well. I've known him since 2010, when since he first stepped up. Um, he has a history of beating incumbent Democrats. Um, his message resonates with a lot of Ohioans. He, we have to get that message out. And I think once we do that, um, Jim will be successful. Um, Sherrod Brown won in 2006 in a bad year for Republicans. He won his reelect again in 2012 when it was the Obama reelect. So he was able to take advantage of the Obama field office and organization behind him. You'll, you'll call it a field office for Obama because it's, it's not a victory center. Right? <laughs> Correct. Why would I do that? <laughs> um, and, but in 2016, 16 of the 24 counties that Sherrod Brown, Brown won in 2012 flipped for Trump. So there, there is that vulnerability there where those voters who were traditional Democrat voters that Sherrod Brown was able to get their vote in 2012, they voted for Trump. And so when the president says, especially in a year like this, where we have a Supreme Court justice on the line, and the president says, I need a, I need a Republican senator um, I need two Republican senators from Ohio, Rob Portman and Jim Renacci. Our Republican voters, our Trump voters, are going to vote for Jim Renacci. So one of the big questions about this election, too, is like you mentioned, there were those uh, the more traditional Democratic areas that turned Republican for President Trump. Um, so what, what do you think it'll take to keep those people engaged with the Republican Party, especially, you know, um, President Trump's such a unique figure and it's, you can't take for granted that they necessarily are going to have loyalty to a specific party? You mean after Trump? Or, yes. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that they start to, they become part of the fold. They become part of the agenda. Um, it, it, you know, Trump's agenda has been very successful for them. You know, more and more we see people who, um, you know, took a chance and voted on him and then they they they're liking everything that he says and does not that he does in his accomplishments um I, I was talking to somebody the other day and you know it was somebody I talked to I was ta talking to another individual and I talked to them the beginning of January February 2017 and their enthusiasm has increased over the last year and a half and I think that we can bring those people and keep those people if you know they I believe that my job is to make them feel welcome in the party and, and to not create divisions between traditional Republicans and new Trump Republicans. Um, I think there's a place for all of them. They can some of them become activists and you know I think that's wonderful. I've talked to Sherrod Brown about this and he is very insistent that he's like oh those are my voters is basically the sort of attitude that I think he has. Um, uh, what will it take Jim Renacci to, to win over some of the swing voters who, you know, aren't necessarily traditional Republicans? Um, well, I think he, he, Jim was um, pretty instrumental as 
a member of the House Ways and Means Committee working on tax reform. And um, those voters really like tax reform. When, you know, Governor Rhodes used to say people vote with their wallets. And when people see more money in their paychecks and they see that they're getting bonuses and wage increases and more benefits and they see their, their employer expanding, um, they can look to Jim Renacci and what he accomplished in Congress and say, this is the kind of person I want representing me in the U.S. Senate. So why do you think Democrats have had a hard time in Ohio? It's uh, Ohio is a swing state, but at the state level, you know, they've, they've Republicans have kind of run the table more or less for the last generation or so. You know, you'd have to ask David Pepper that. <laughs> we haven't had him on yet. Maybe we should. Should we call? Phone a friend? <laughs> um, but, uh, but I guess, uh, you know, uh, do you think it's just good luck on your guys' part, or is it something about the Republican message or organizing, or what? I think it's the Republican message. Um, I think it's Republican candidates. Um, you know, we tend to recruit people who are highly qualified for their positions. I look at someone like Robert Sprague, who's running for treasurer. He's probably the most qualified candidate that we've had for treasurer in a, a few cycles. He is a CPA. He's um, got his MBA. Um, he went to Duke. He er- worked for Ernst & Young as a management consultant, um, um, advising global companies, came back and, and became a public servant, was the treasurer and auditor for the city of Finley. Um, he is an excellently qualified candidate to be the treasurer. He's got some great ideas about using good government bonds to address our opioid crisis. He's a really dynamic guy, and he's super smart, super qualified, the perfect person that you want in the treasurer's office. You look at the rest of our our. our statewide candidates, someone like Frank LaRose, who literally defended people's right to vote in Afghanistan, that is the person that you want as your Secretary of State, because he knows how sacred that is. They are well qualified for what they're they're asking the voters to vote for them for. I think earlier that's the most anybody's talked about the Treasurer's Office on this podcast, so congratulations. Robert Sprague is also a very nice guy, too. Yes, so. he is. Yes, and I can go on and on about the rest <laughs> of my statewide candidates. You know, I, you look at Mike DeWine and John Husted, and when they teamed up, they made a dynamic duo. And, uh, you know, Mike DeWine is out there talking today about his, uh, one of his main priorities is children, and he wants to to do better for Ohio children. And it starts when they're young. And he wants to make sure they have the great opportunities for all children. And I think that's an excellent platform for a governor for Ohio that that speaks to everyone, not just Republicans and independents, but Democrats as well. And John Husted, um, you know, as he was Secretary of State, he literally runs his office with zero taxpayer dollars. I mean, you can't have a better public servant than that. Um, Mike DeWine, as Attorney General, has done a phenomenal job as attorney general and you know he's it, it's not an indelic it's a it's a tough subject to talk about but when he walked in the office Richard Cordray hadn't tested those um, DNA rape kits and so women who took the time and were probably scared out of their minds and had their DNA tested and just sat on a shelf and there were thousands sitting there and they no chance of catching their perpetrator or preventing them from harming someone else. You know, Mike DeWine stood up and said, no, we're going to do this. So I'm very proud of our candidates. They're A+. So yeah, talking about Mike DeWine, actually, our, our former colleague, Henry Gomez, had this big, pretty smart takeout looking at uh, the 19, 
90 election where you basically had DeWine and a few other sort of like Republican heavyweights who all wanted to run for governor and Bob Bennett at the time basically helped clear the field. Um, in this case, you know, you guys took more of a hands-off approach as the primary kind of played out. How do you feel about how the primary played out? You know, look, I think that um, when Mike DeWine and John Husted teamed up, there was an overwhelming support for them. Um, we had, you know, I spent the 2017 talking about how we all we, we couldn't go wrong with any of the four candidates that were in the race at the time. Um, when they teamed up, the my central committee um, tended to they felt very strongly because of that matchup and because of them uh, they wanted to support them they thought that they did the right thing for the party that was best for them and you know mary taylor i I, you know i i hope that she considers running for future office i think she'd make an excellent candidate whatever she chooses to do in the future So there were some concerns that when Mary Taylor kind of amped up her campaign, when she's sort of like the last candidate with her and DeWine, she started running a bunch of negative ads and put a lot of money behind it. Um, There's some concern that that would cause lasting damage to him and that kind of thing. Um, Do you you feel like that that was the case? You know, my take on it, she was sort of criticizing Mike for not being conservative enough. I'm not so sure that that criticism translates into a general election because now Mike's focused on winning the votes of all Ohioans. Um, And Mike has a great record. He's a great name ID. He's a great person. People really uh, are are attracted to his message and what he's done for Ohio. So I'm not as concerned about that. Something that was interesting to me is that uh, there's sort of like this idea out there that people want change in politics. But Mike DeWine's been in office for a really long time. Uh, why do you think that he's, you know, so far managed to have success and come through a primary, even though, you know, he's um, maybe withstanding some of those that sort of like cultural force or whatever you want right. to call well, it? You know, I, I, I share Brown's been in office for a long time, too. But I the differentiation between Sherrod Brown and Mike DeWine is I looked at Mike DeWine as a true public servant. He's in this really because he cares about Ohio and cares about Ohio families. And you see it in his leadership you see it in his um um his policy initiatives you see it in his campaign and i think that makes the difference mike is a true public servant and that's the kind of person you want who spends a lot of time as a public servant back to mary taylor a little bit uh we thought it was interesting that she was on that conference call with you guys last week um how did that happen um you know she was there to support keith faber they're good friends mary is a strong Republican, a good Republican, and she's very supportive of all of our candidates. And um, Mary and I have a great relationship, um, and I really encourage her to be more involved in the party. I think she's moved over things since like the Mike DeWine's kitchen line and all of that. I think, you know, sure, there's probably there's some smoothing that still needs to be to happen. Um, As I said previously, we're all part of a Republican family. We can have disagreements. We can have primaries, but we all have to come to the table and be part of that family. I really want to see how your Thanksgiving goes. It must be oh the Republican family <laughs> Thanksgiving. Um, there was one Thanksgiving that was really bad, um, and from then on, we vowed n- not to um, uh, discuss too many <laughs> politics too much. Yeah, I think that that scene probably played out everywhere, right? <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I love my family and, you know, but but we just agree to disagree on certain things. And, you know, quite frankly, it's it's interesting because my sister is a Democrat and she's very supportive of me. And, um, and it, that is, you know, because we are on a different political perspective doesn't mean that my family doesn't support me. 
So uh, who's your favorite living Ohio Democrat? So you, you can't say John Glenn. That's why we... My favorite living Ohio Democrat? Wow, that's a toughie. Um, well, I'm going to say the first thing that popped into my mind uh, is um, a friend of mine who I served on the Kent State Board, Dennis Eckert. I think the former De- congressman, right? For, yep. What, what, what do you like about him? I, th- I think, you know, Dennis is smart. He's kind. He's nice. Um, he talks too much, Dennis, if you're hearing this. Um, <laughs> but um, I think he's a good guy. That's who just popped into my mind. There's other Democrats. But, um, you know, I have friends who are Democrats. Surprise, surprise. And, you know, we get along great. So, Do you ever talk to David Pepper? Um, we usually only debate. We don't have much of a outside the office relationship there's kind of a fun thing with him and matt borges they had the same birthday and borges like to say that he was he was more handsome though so um i'll leave that to them on deciding who's more handsome (laughs) um so you were a rugby player in college Mm -hmm. uh did you ever suffer any weird injuries or anything like that uh definitely injuries not so sure they were weird i busted my knee had a concussion um you know had face scratches and you know before uh, every rugby game they would line the women up and check our nails and our cleats to make sure we wouldn't scratch people yeah it's brutal (laughs) so uh, why did you pick rugby um because my roommates said that they well I had I played soccer in high school and I had wanted to continue to play a sport and I wasn't qualified to play varsity uh, soccer at Harvard so um they were all playing rugby and it was a year-round sport so we played fall and spring and it was great way to get exercise and have fun and travel to other Ivy League schools and have you know matches and it was fun we had a good time it was brutal but it was fun. Yeah, it seems like it seems like a brutal sport. You know, it's interesting. I I have a theory that um, rugby is almost safer than football because when you don't have pads on and you don't have a helmet on, you're going to be very careful about how you take somebody down, mm-hmm. and you're taught how to tackle people um, not at the shoulders but more at the legs. And so, I, I think if you're going to try to go after somebody, you're going to make sure it's a smart move instead of just you know trying missing or not being successful because they'll take you down so it was pretty good training for politics right oh yeah I (laughs) I think sports in general are really good training and actually I think women should play more sports because I think that teaches them how to you know uh, win and lose and be part of a team I think it's a really good thing so uh, the other sort of fun fact that I turned up is that you played the bagpipes when you were younger oh my god who told you that so how did that happen um, so my mother is Scottish, and she actually um, immigrated to this country. And um, it, so she encouraged me to play, learn how to play the bagpipes in high school. And um, I was not a very good bagpipe player. I, tr- I, I played in the Brigadoon musical and played a couple times. And I still have them, but I will not play them again. <laughs> so what's so hard about the bagpipes? Um, it's actually not the breath People think that, oh, you have to keep the bag blown up. Once you blow up the bag and you just need to um, keep the air blowing into it to keep it inflated, um, so it doesn't, it's not like a balloon where it automatically deflates. The more difficult thing is the finger maneuvering um, on the chanter, which is what makes the noise. So that's more difficult to make sure you learn how to do some of that. And you really have to train your fingers to do it well. It's like not a lot of people play the bagpipe. So I figured there's probably a good reason for it. Right. It, well, it's also really loud. <laughs> 
so you have to i mean they were meant to be played in the the the, the highlands and out in the open field not in your parents basement so i think this is our last question um so you grew up in cincinnati but you lived in the canton area for a while now so which one do you like better oh that's a toughie Canton is my home now. I live on a farm. I love it. It's beautiful. Cincinnati is a great city, and I always love going back to Cincinnati. Do you like Skyline Chili? Um, do I have to answer that? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I liked it a lot when I was in high school and college. I'm a middle-aged woman and shouldn't eat Skyline anymore. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we got. So, uh, Jane, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.